Hopping Podcast number 49. Celebrating 10 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. This is Alan of DisneyFans.com and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 49, the podcast that proves you don't have to be a rocket scientist to have your own podcast. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, we spent some time in the Magic Kingdom's Fantasyland to evaluate Mickey's Magic, uh, Duck of the Opera. Today, in part seven of my We're Almost Done, I Swear It Disney World report, we'll be back park hopping once again over to Epcot to check out the latest version of that 1955 Disneyland classic Rocket to the Moon. Now, to hear some ramblings on the history and evolution of the original attraction that eventually turned into Stitch's Great Escape, check out Park Hopping Podcast number 47. Today, my focus will be the Mission Space Pavilion at Epcot. But first, some voicemail. Now, uh, I was recording these shows in advance, so these uh, messages came in uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago or something like that. But I'm getting to them now, really. You can call 206-203227, and I'll eventually get it on the show. Hey, Alan, this is Matt, listener number 42. Uh, just been listening to your latest uh, Walt Disney World uh podcasts and have enjoyed them very much even though you're just talking about things it's it's still interesting to hear about them uh also love your ride-throughs it'd be great if you did this kind of thing and added ride-throughs uh appreciate you reading my email a couple of cats back uh and the cranium command ride-through uh audio was presented on uh on Window to the Magic, show number 40, if anybody is interested. Thanks for all you do. Enjoy the podcast. See you later. Cool. Thanks, Matt. Uh, for everyone out there, you can go to windowtothemagic.com and check out episode 40 with the audio from Cranium Command. Uh, hopefully it's still available for a download. Um, so that's pretty cool. If not, you can usually do some searches and find pretty much any uh, audio you're looking for out on the Internet if you do enough digging. But Window to the Magic is, is my favorite audio Disney podcast. It primarily focuses on Disneyland audio, but occasionally goes off topic and gives us something from Walt Disney World. So very, very cool. Uh, next, in regards to park hopping number 47 on Stitch's Great Escape. Hey, Alan, it's Brian from uh, Fruitland, Maryland. Uh, former cast member from college 10 years ago. I uh, just listened to your podcast about Stitch's Great Escape. Thank you for being the first one on the internet to finally say what a lot of us have felt about Stitch's Great Escape. It's a great ride, very well done. Um, much, much more appropriate for a family park like the Magic Kingdom. Um, once again, Hail Encounter, great ride, fantastic. Um, I wrote it like once or twice a week when I worked down there. Um, I was in college in my 20s. It was great. Uh, but now that I'm a family man with two small children, <laughs> I wouldn't take them in that ride. Stitch is much more appropriate for my children. Keep up the great work, and uh, hopefully you uh, have some more shows coming about the Magic Kingdom. Thank you. All the way from Maryland. Thanks a lot, Brian. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was really expecting to hate Stitch, and that probably is why I liked it so much, is my expectations were so low. And, you know, maybe if I saw the Stitch movie, I would like the attraction more, or maybe I'd like it less, depending on, you know, what they did to it. But 
boy, I tell you, that little guy walking around was pretty, pretty cool. I've got another email I'll get to in an upcoming episode from a, a guy that I've talked back and forth to that's primarily been going to Disneyland, and, and they just made a trip to Walt Disney World, and he had some good comments on uh, Stitch's Great Escape, too, so I'm going to see if I can get him to call in and leave him. If not, I'll read you some of those. So anyway, thanks a lot, Brian, and... You know, if you saw Alien Encounter so much, I always wondered about the role of the cast member up front, uh, up front, up top, the one that walked around with the flashlight and stuff. And, you know, if that was really some sophisticated system with, uh, you know, a flashlight that was wired in that would turn off at the right time and they just kind of carried it around and walked through the patterns. And that's kind of what I envisioned. Or if it was just uh, an economical walk around with a flashlight and turn it off when you hear this kind of thing. Did you ever know anything about the operations? Anybody else out there that maybe worked the attraction, Alien Encounter, that knows some behind-the-scenes stuff? Uh, give me a call, 206-2030-227, or uh, drop me an email, podcast at DisneyFans.com, when it's working. Um, I'd like to hear some comments on it. And now, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. Park hopping podcast and regularly scheduled pretty much don't go together. But anyway, uh, oh, right after I mentioned that I've also uh, started posting some new 3D videos from Disneyland. Uh, you may know that I uh, shot hours of 3D video in the past couple of years at Disneyland, and you can go to 3D.DisneyFans.com and download some of them. And there's even a subscription link on AnotherCrappyPodcast.com where you can subscribe to a podcast feed. Now, you're going to need a pair of those red-blue 3D glasses to view these videos. Um, and I still, like I said, I still have several hours of 3D stuff to process and get posted. So I'll be working on that over the next few months. Uh, thanks to this new Core 2 Duo iMac, I can do this stuff a lot faster. I've posted 3D Billy Hill and the Hillbillies, uh, the 3D Club Buzz show that's gone, and also a 3D trip on the Jungle Cruise. So go check that out. Don't expect anything like Captain Neo or, you know, it's tough to be a bug. It's, uh, you know, pretty basic, crappy 3D. Okay, and now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. There I go again with the regularly scheduled. Uh, okay, uh, where were we? That's Mission Space. See, I, I can do this. It's a Friday night. It's been a long week. Mission Space is a thrill ride which opened in late 2003 on the site formerly occupied by an Omnimover animatronic extravaganza attraction called Horizons. Now, many of us Disney dweebs consider this just another example of them getting rid of an original attraction to install a thrill ride. But Horizons wasn't actually part of the original Epcot lineup. It didn't open until about, I think it was 1983, as part of Epcot's supposed Phase 2. Um, but, I mean, it's close enough to be an original. I just remember Horizons being one of the great new rides when we visited the second year after it opened. And it's kind of strange thinking back to a time when new things were still being added at Disney World parks rather than things being closed and then replaced. But the 80s were really good for Epcot. There were new Future World attractions and entire World Showcase countries uh, popping up pretty regularly as Disney's second-ever theme park slowly grew into the place that we know today. Um, so it's, it's interesting putting that in the context that um, it was the second Disney World park. Uh, before that, in the years leading up to it, if you went out there, you'd spend a day or two at the Magic Kingdom, a much smaller Magic Kingdom, and that was all you had to do on Disney property that was a theme park. Well, as, as I've said in previous shows, Horizons was probably my favorite Epcot attraction, and it, it held the heart of Epcot, in my opinion, with a, a vision of future living. And when news got out that Horizons would probably be closing, I made special attempts to take a lot of pictures um, during a few of my trips. And I can't remember who it was, but there was this one guy that I used to talk to through email back before I even had the DisneyFans.com domain name, and I was just posting pictures on my own sites. Um, 
I had uh, some pictures from Horizons, but not very many. And this guy told me about the plans to close it and asked if I could take some extra pictures my next visit. And so I did. And I rode that thing over and over again with empty cars all around me so I could take as many flash photos with my then state-of-the-art Epson digital camera. It could hold, uh, you know, like 99 pictures a day. And sure enough, Horizons did close, and now I just wish I'd taken a video recorder with me on those trips. It's kind of weird thinking about it now since it was only seven years ago, but back then the thought of being able to post video files online wasn't even really feasible, so taking pictures seemed to be a lot more important since I could actually share them with others instead of just having some home movies sitting around in my living room collecting dust like a lot of my old VHS stuff is because I'm too lazy to digitize it. I have video from uh, 1982 uh, right before they opened Epcot. I've got to get that online one of these years. They, uh, actually, it was kind of funny, a little tangent. At SeaWorld, they had an observation tower, and when you went up to the observation tower, you could see the construction at Epcot, and they'd actually talk about it. It's kind of strange that there was a time when the competing theme parks would actually be happy and excited about Disney. I guess that was before Disney started getting aggressive and opening pavilions and things in Epcot and parks to compete with them. But I digress. Mission Space was yet another departure from the original theme of slow-moving, educationally-inspired attractions at Epcot. Some may say that the Maelstrom at the Norway Pavilion was actually the first attempt at some thrills in the park, or, or that Body Wars, the simulator at Wonders of Life Pavilion, you know, was the first one. But the first active thrill ride at Epcot was when the slow-moving, educationally-inspired World of Motion was closed to eventually open as GM Test Track. Um, Mission Space just continued this new Epcot direction by pushing things even further and using NASA technology to not only simulate the visuals of a space flight, but to let guests actually feel what it was like to be rocketing up into orbit. Now, I alluded to a connection between Mission Space and the original Rocket to the Moon earlier, and it's probably quite obvious that this ride could have easily been called Mission to Mars Part 2, since it was a simulation of a mission to Mars, and Disney had already gone through a ride redo with this very same theme, just with 1970s special effects. And since Disney had just released a theatrical movie under the same name, Mission to Mars, possibly as a tribute to the old Disney rides, one has to wonder if there was supposed to be even more of a movie tie-in. Now, some movie props from Mission to Mars are found in the queue area, but nobody recognizes them because none of us actually seem to have seen the movie. But it's obvious there was some kind of synergy going on there. I guess once the movie tanked, the idea of having an attraction with the same name might not have been such a good idea. Add, the, add to that the confusion of reusing a name that was associated with a cheesy old Tomorrowland ride, and you end up thinking there was probably no way Disney would have actually reused the name. Internet speculation aside, there were plans long ago for one of the upcoming Epcot pavilions to be called Space. It was the uh, Space Pavilion, and it would have involved a trip into a space station where guests could look down on a planet orbiting below them. Sound familiar? This idea was also going to be used in the announced but never built Africa Pavilion in the World Showcase, where guests could have looked down to a savanna watering hole or something from a treehouse-type place. And, of course, there was that Space Station X-1 or whatever it was called at Disneyland, which uh, featured a look down at our planet Earth. I think we can see there's various patterns here with Disney building up certain ideas over and over again with different themes as, as technology progresses. And as they say, no good idea ever goes away. It just goes into storage until some new generation of Imagineers digs it out. Anyway, Mission Space that we have today has a lot of connections to the past. The Space Pavilion 
is uh, just a tiny bit of what it could have been built if the original plans had been funded. And, of course, basically everything Disney builds starts out with a blue sky phase where the sky's the limit, blue sky, and the Imagineers try to design the best thing they can possibly do, even if it's not actually practical or affordable. These blue sky designs get whittled down over and over again until eventually we find something that the Disney company will actually greenlight for construction. And Mission Space was the final remnant of all those previous bold plans. Instead of being a trip to space, it would be a trip to an astronaut training facility. Instead of really flying in a rocket, it would be a visit to a simulator used to train astronauts. And I just kind of wonder how much more it would have cost to try to go that extra mile and change this from something that fully admits it's a simulator to something that pretends to be a real experience. Ignorance, as they say, is bliss, and thousands of Disney World visitors enjoy a bliss-filled experience to Mission Space every day. Because, you know, if we don't know what they could have done, it's pretty impressive what they did do. At least, uh, some of them do. This, this ride is based on the same type of rotating centrifuge that NASA uses to let astronauts feel the forces of gravity during a space launch. Although the G-forces that you get on Mission Space are not as much as other attractions, like some of these space shot rides and even some roller coasters, uh, they're sustained G-forces, and that seems to be a problem. There's been a few people who've uh, actually died because of this ride. If you're a Disney fan, you've probably heard about about these uh, things. Now, it's, it's not that it's inherently unsafe. Um, every incident investigation so far has proven that there were just pre-existing conditions, sometimes undiagnosed. That meant these poor folks shouldn't have taken the ride. There's just simply no way for them to have known. Now, because of this and because of many park visitors bypassing this new $100 million attraction, Epcot started offering a non-spinning version. Uh, to explain, the ride vehicles are basically a space capsule that can hold four passengers, and there's four separate centrifuges, each with uh, ten capsules. When the non-spinning option was started, I heard a lot of podcasts and websites chatter that this would just be a pointless experience sitting in a box watching a movie. Well, I know that I personally can't do spinny rides like a Tilt-A-Whirl. Um, if they go longer than 30 seconds, I'm, I'm done. I used to love them. I probably couldn't even handle a ride on Dumbo or the Astro Orbiter if it lasted much longer than it currently does. I mean, thank goodness some of these Disney rides like the Orange Stinger at California Adventure are less than 60 seconds. Well, anyway, I knew I'd probably never be able to get to ride Mission Space before this uh, non-spinning version was created. Plus, I have several friends who've made trips to Epcot and ridden the original, and they've all told me basically the same thing. It was intense but they'll probably never do it again, with a bit of extra advice telling me that if, that I should try it, but only as the last ride of the night. Um, a lot of people talk about just being sick for hours afterward, just not feeling good. So my fears, though, actually weren't that I'd get sick. My paranoia kicked in, and I wondered, what if I have an undiagnosed pre-existing condition? I mean, I can think of worse places to die than Disney World, you know, but I'd kind of prefer not to die so I could visit Disney World again without being limited to a... Uh, Haunted Mansion resident. Anyway, d during my first evening um, at the parks, I hung around the Magic Kingdom until it closed at 7, and then I headed over to Epcot uh, on the monorails. And I, I hit the seas with Nemo and Friends first since it was brand new, and I figured I was lucky enough to, to see it because it was being open to the public and it wasn't officially open yet. And uh, it was late at night when everything should have been closed in Future World. So after that, I went to check out space. Um, the show building is really neat, and the uh, the inside goes a long way into making it feel like some kind of NASA facility. I mean, the entrance, the cast members give you this small piece of paper indicating what ride you want, and I chose the non-spinning green piece of paper, and I noticed that once again, um, 
it went through all the, the ride descriptions and warnings on the sheet of paper. I mean, I suppose legally Disney can say, hey, you held the warnings in your own hands. It's not our fault if you didn't read them because so many people report problems and try to sue after they've passed, you know, 13 warning signs. So it's kind of interesting seeing Disney create a ride so intense that they have to go to these great lengths. I mean, um, I once nearly blacked out on a super intense Six Flags roller coaster in California, and there weren't as many warning signs in its queue as there were, you know, in Mission Space. So uh, anyway, so the the pre-show area features a mission control briefing in a room that kind of reminded me of the similar holding area um, at Back to the Future. Uh, after this, we got to line up outside a door, then eventually got to enter the ride area. Now, I can see why Disney may not have wanted to try to pass this off as a real experience. Through this door, you could see the centrifuge, and you get a good idea of how everything was going to work, kind of like going to Soren at California or at Epcot. You, you can totally see the mechanisms. You know exactly what it is. Well, to make it seem like you were entering an actual spacecraft would have required some fancy moving hallways and stuff to get the rides the riders to the vehicles and, and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you can picture ways they could have done it, but, again, would it have really been worth it? The ride vehicle itself was pre a pr pretty tight fit. There were over-the-shoulder restraints that they're like the, use, the, the ones they use to keep people locked in on a, a roller coaster that does loops. And uh, I soon found out why that was. Now, and, and in front of you was this console that had various buttons and lights and switches and a video screen. Once you are all locked in, the whole console moves towards the four riders, making it a, a really claustrophobic fit. I can certainly see some people who are claustrophobic just not liking this ride for that reason. Uh, there were barf bags and easy reach. That was a little bit, uh, a little bit disconcerting. Um, the actual ride movie followed us through a liftoff and separation into a sequence called hypersleep where they put us to sleep for our months of traveling to Mars, which, as they promised, would only feel like seconds in the dark. Um, I was actually made a lot more comfortable by having cool air blowing directly in my face the entire time. That's uh, got that's got to go a long way to preventing motion sickness. I was told by a friend that the key was don't move your head, and indeed there were plenty of warning signs saying to stare straight at the monitors the entire time. Well, on the non-moving version, I could freely look around and see all the things going on, the lights and you know the reactions of the other passengers. And uh, by the way, you can flip all those switches all you want. They don't really do anything, and they're fun to play with. Uh, anyway, so each passenger is given a role to play during the ride. There's a switch or two you're supposed to press at a certain point, and a voice will tell you when, and the buttons light up. And, of course, if you just sit back and watch, the computer overrides, and it takes care of it. Um, since there were four passengers, I, I guess it would have kind of uh, sucked if one of you would have caused the whole ride to crash before getting to Mars. You, that's not a great way to make friends with um, people riding with you. There's also a joystick so each one of us can navigate if an emergency situation comes up. And, of course, this is a Disney ride, so something always goes terribly wrong. Now, you can imagine what the visuals would be like. Basically a souped-up, in-your-face version of the old Mission to Mars ride. Instead of looking at the ceiling and the floor, you're looking at a screen in front of you. Um, but what surprised me was how much these non-spinning, non-moving vehicles moved. I was expecting some minor movements. You know, maybe they'd tilt a little. But I was told that the uh, non-spinning ones actually moved a lot more than the spinning ones. Is that true? It supposedly compensates for the lack of spinniness, so that implies they would have reprogrammed this. During blastoff, it felt as if the whole cabinet rocked all the way on its back, giving a very good simulation of gravity. I mean, if you've ever ridden a ride simulator like Star Tours, you already know a small version of, of this feeling, because those rides simply tilt back every time you're supposed to be accelerating. 
And with Mission Space, it did it a whole lot more, including tilting very far forward at certain points to simulate slowing down, and amazingly enough, to simulate what almost did feel like a moment of zero gravity. You know, the visuals, and all of a sudden, you know, you're not on your back. Uh, I hear that the real spinning version is much more impressive impressive at that moment. Um, And this was one of the big features that the ride mentioned when Disney was building it, you know, a moment of simulated zero gravity. So... Anyway, it was a very cool motion simulator made so much better by the fact that it doesn't look or feel like a cabin of people bopping around as it rocks left and right like Star Tours does. I think the simulated motion in Mission Space was actually cooler than what Star Tours does, though Star Tours has many more axes of movement and is still a more advanced motion simulator. But the combination of all the lights, the controls, the in-your-face visuals um, makes even the non-moving version of, mini, of, of Mission Space pretty darn cool. Um, It was a lot more than I expected, and in a way, I kind of wish I would have tried the uh, spinning version, but I guess, you know, I'd rather have some regrets than have tried it and gotten sick and needed to use one of those barf bags, or or worse, gotten sick and had to use one of those barf bags and then died shortly afterwards. The last thing I wanted to do is be a paragraph in another Mouse Tells book. So overall, I was pretty impressed, even if I would have had more fun on a long animatronic adventure like Horizons. Um, the space thing really is cool and it really is unique, but I, I can't help but wonder how easy would it be for Disney to open up non-spinning versions of this at their other parks without the whole centrifuge. Uh, you know, it just becomes a pretty cool Star Tours-like attraction, and unlike Star Tours, being in that tight space with those shoulder harnesses allows them to move you in more ways than you could otherwise, like facing straight up or straight down. I mean, who knows? Maybe this accidental downgrade will work its way into other Tomorrowlands at some point in the future as an uh, intentional attraction that doesn't accidentally kill people. Um, I'll put my vote in for bringing the non-spinning version to Disneyland. There's a pizza restaurant I think it would fit very well in, and they might even have some old attraction signs they could use for it. Maybe they could call it Mission to Mars 2055 or something. Well, every time I think about this attraction, I realize how bad the situation is. Bad, you know, it's bad for families who've lost loved ones. It's bad for Disney due to the negative publicity. And it's really bad for Disney after they spent all those years and millions creating this new state-of-the-art attraction, only to have to half neuter it and have it scaled down to be a, a small Star Tours. Light speed to indoor indeed. Well, rest assured, unless you're claustrophobic or you just can't stand being turned on your back or your front, you should have no problem writing this light version of Mission Space. Just make sure you get in the right line. Hmm, I, I wonder if all the changes they made when they split off the two lines um, re- required them to redo all the signage. You know? I, I Actually, I guess it did. There were signs and different announcements. You see what I mean about things changing all the time? So by the time I see this, signs have changed. Uh, uh, announcements have changed. Hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is the next time you're there... Be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again. And I have finally gotten around to posting my pictures from this trip, Um, so there's quite a few from Mission Space. Not as much as I would have liked to have taken, but at least it's a start. So on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time. Be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 35,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and other theme parks across the country as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney Park. Remember 3D.DisneyFans.com for the new 3D Disneyland stuff. And if you want to talk about some of your favorite Disney podcasts, but not this one, drop by the Disney Podcast Network at DisneyPodcastNet.com and sign up for their discussion board. 
You'll be able to send private messages to Paul from Window to the Magic and tell him how much you like the audio of him standing in long lines at Disneyland. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address is podcast at disneyfans.com. If you'd rather use the telephone, you can dial 206-2030-ACP. That's for another crappy podcast. Again, 206-2030-227. And leave me a voicemail. I'd love to hear from you and play your comments on a future show. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 49, Mission Back to Mars. Thanks for listening. Next episode is number 50. Then we'll get on to some all new stuff. See you later. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. Mm. <laughs>